You are tuning into the True North Church Podcast. Our prayer is that you would be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information about True North Church, please visit us online at truenorthak.org. Well, good morning, True North Church. How many of you guys are glad to be alive today? Man, you know, it's a great day to be alive. I hope you had a great Christmas full of, full of wonder and wonderful times. And I want to say thank you. Uh, we, uh, you know, Christmas is a time that my wife and I receive bags of cookies and bags of homemade candy. And, and I will be working on getting that off for the next year. But thank you so much for giving me a reason to exercise. Um, so I want to say thank you for those that give cards and all the, the kind things you guys do for our staff. We, we love and appreciate you. Um, in 2024, our theme this next year is going to be stronger. Uh, and we're going to kick it off kind of today, really, with a series on family called Stronger Families. And we'll talk about stronger marriages in February. Uh, and then we're going to talk about stronger influences we lead into Easter and how to have influence with our neighbors and our coworkers. Um, and uh, so next Sunday, uh, we're going to preach. Today's going to be, I, I'm going to preach, but it's going to be an illustrated message. That, um, but I hope that uh, you'll get a handlebar on where you are personally. Um, and you might say, Mark, I, I don't have a family. Well, how many of you guys have a, how many of you guys came from a family? You know, how many of you guys have people around you? We all have people. And so this message is for us, whether we're married or single or engaged or where we're at, or we want to get married or we've been married. Um, uh, but I want to, again, reiterate before I start the message, again, this Tuesday night uh, through Friday at, at uh, 7 o'clock, our, our prayer and fasting uh, is starting. Now, you might be like, I've never done a prayer and fasting week before, Mark. Um, go, again, the QR code, go, there's some resources on prayer, some resources on fasting, to pray a little, really, uh, learn a little bit about it, but then come, and if you've never, you don't know, like, I don't know how to pray, well, come watch other people how to pray. That's how your kids learn how to talk, by watching you talk, being around you and seeing it. And so I want to invite you to come out, it's a powerful week, and then put Grow Conference on your, on your schedule. How many of you guys growing up, uh, you'd have a friend over, and your friend didn't know uh, that certain chairs in the house were not chairs that were available for them to sit in. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys have, like, your dad had a chair? And it was your dad's chair. And no one sat in dad's chair. And then your mom might have a chair, right? How many, now, how many of you guys grew up, and, or, or even now, around your dining room table, there's a chair. Now, oftentimes, I was near my dad because my dad felt like he needed sometimes to discipline me around the dinner table, right? And so you put the kid near you that might be, you know, the problem child, okay? Um, not that I was that. Now, how many of you guys have a chair you sit in now at home? You have a chair. It's your chair. You, it's yours. It's identified. And everyone knows that's like mom's chair, dad's chair, Joe's chair, Jim's chair. That's, that's where the man who thinks he rules the roof sits. And uh, I'm the head of my house, but... My wife's the neck that turns the head. And uh, um, so we have chairs, and, and uh, chairs are important. And today I, I want to talk about three chairs, and, and I want to talk about the importance of chairs. Uh, second grade, how many of you guys remember in second grade the, the role of chairs? I mean, chairs are important. There was three circles in second grade oftentimes, and, and that's when you first learned the importance of what chair group you were in. There was the advanced chair reading group, there was the normal chair reading group, and then there was the slow chair reading group. And, and some of you, you know, you spent times wanting to be in a different chair or were happy the chair you were at. And, and then in third grade, I learned about, we had a coat room in our, in our school in third grade, and uh, there was one chair in that coat room. 
And some of you know exactly what that chair. I spent a lot of time on that chair in third grade. I was one of those kids that at times made it hard on teachers, but we won't go there. There was a chair, and it was, the, it was the chair of discipline. You would go in there, and everyone else would be like, why is Mark in there again? Um, well, there was a reason. But, um, and then in fifth grade, I remember we did a social studies uh, segment, and we learned about the judicial system. And there was the chair for the judge. and our, our teacher set it up like a courtroom, and there was the judge's chair, and there was a jury's chair, and there was a chair for, for witnesses, and a chair where the plaintiff sat, and the lawyer sat, and defense attorney, all these things. There's different chairs. And, and, and all those chairs were important. They, they served a role. They, they, there was something about them. And then in seventh grade, I, I went out for band. And, and, and don't laugh, but I, I actually, I was a part of the percussion. And, and what's funny is they, they, did, they, they didn't even look at the color of my skin or ask me to dance before to see if I had rhythm or could even stay on rhythm. And so I was in the 27th chair of percussion. They didn't even give me an instrument, okay? Because I, I, I can't clap on beat. I can't dance on beat. Just ask my kids and uh, don't watch me dance, okay? Um, and so, but, 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 you know, there's, but my kids were like, they were always first chair in their band competitions. First, I mean, they were first, second, third chair. I mean, then there was a, you know, and, 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 but chairs were important. And so we have to remind ourselves in life, there's certain places, there's chairs, and those chairs have value. And, um, you know, anyone here ever play basketball? And in basketball, they start five, five, five athletes, and then, but the number six man sits right next to the coach, so the coach can send him in right away and, and can kind of coach him. And then when someone comes out, he's talking. To, and and if, you're, if you're like 12 people away from the coach, you probably aren't going to play that game unless you're playing a really bad team. Um, the chair and where you sit is important. And today I want to ask, uh, uh, I, I, I want to talk about, three different chairs we sit in but one last thing anyone here um ever booked an airline ticket you live in alaska if you haven't booked an airline ticket you're either scared of flying um or or you know that, well we won't go there how many guys pick the middle seat in an airline raise your hand you pick the middle seat you know why you pick the middle seat? Because you want your husband on the aisle or the window, right? Okay. I see how you're shaking your head there, okay? My wife goes, how come I always get the middle seat? Because I booked the ticket, honey. And I wanted to put you in the prize place. If there was a fire, I wanted you protected. I put someone on each side. <laughs> okay. How many of you guys are window seat people? Raise your hand. You're window seat people. Okay. I, I'm a window seat guy because I sleep good on planes and I want to sleep really good, right? And how many of you guys are aisle seat people? You guys have a hard time with the bladder. You want to be able to go to the bathroom real quick. I know. I get it. Okay. Um, and so there's different seats. We pick those different seats. But the question I have today is, is what chair do you sit in? And I want to talk about three chairs. And these chairs, um, uh, uh, they represent chair number one, represents the chair of commitment. Um, the people who sit in chair number one are committed. They're, they're the... The Alan Menekers of this world. Al was an usher every single first service, 8 o'clock a.m. or 8.30 a.m., whatever time our 8 o'clock service was, Al Menneker was an usher, and his goal was to meet every single person and remember their name in this section over here. And for 40 years, he, he says, that he told Pastor Jen, what brought me to this church was the choir, but when they quit the choir, I asked myself, what else can I do? So I just find what, and I just serve. Said chair number one, chair of commitment. He was committed. And then there's chair number two. Chair number two is the chair of compromise. 
It's the chair of, uh, uh, if, you're, if chair number one is the chair of commitment and it's the, it's the hot, this would be the lukewarm chair. It's the, it's the hey, I'm, I'm not cold, but I'm not hot. I'm just kind of chilling here. And then chair number three, probably guessed it, is the chair of compromise. Or excuse me, the chair of conflict. When I say that, um, we, see this, we see this trend in everything. See, how many want to know if you sit in chair number one, there's an uphill climb to get there? You don't get the chair number one because you're born with just great commitment, although there's probably some, there's some things that are important put inside of you because of your DNA, but you have to work at staying committed. I mean, it's January once tomorrow when there's some of you going to write out your resolutions for the year and you're going to say, I'm sitting in this chair of discipline when it comes to my body. I want to be in shape. And I look and I say, I am in shape. Round is a shape, okay? Um, and so there's commitment, but that's an uphill climb to sit in chair number one. But I'll tell you right now, it's pretty easy to slide downhill to chair number one, two or three. It's a downhill climb, although the chair, you know, my secretary didn't help me out very much by putting number two higher than number one. So it's, it's a metaphor, okay? Uh, did you know, the, 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 uh, uh, we see this in the world, we see this, in fact, um, recently Harvard has kind of been under the microscope for some things said in Congress or things like that, and they're kind of retracting some things or whatever. Do you know the one thing that Harvard, Yale, and Princeton all had in common? They all started as Bible colleges and seminaries to train people for ministry. In fact, you had to sign a covenant that you would read your Bible and pray every day if you wanted to be attend Harvard University. They started out in chair number one. In fact, this was found on their website, uh, Yale's website, under, un, under the, like the history. The training for Christian ministry was the main purpose in the founding of Yale College in 1701. The main purpose was training for Christian ministry. Harvard... It says Puritans established Harvard College in 1619, 1636. Shortly after arriving in Massachusetts Bay, Harvard's mission statement given in their 19, or 19, 1642 was clearly evangelical. It said this, everyone shall consider as the main end in this life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ and, and which is eternal life. In their mission statement, they weren't clearly in chair number one. But sometime, at some point, they slid to chair number two. And I think they're in a place of conflict right now where they don't really know who they are or what they believe. Chair number three. And what's interesting is you can trace this idea of chairs and, and where people sit all throughout the New Testament and Old Testament. In fact, I want to go there real quick. I want to look at three biblical narratives, three stories, uh, uh, three, three, three different generations. And I want to see the slide from chair of commitment to compromise to conflict. The first chair I want to look at instead of chairs is, is David's family. I want to look at King David's family. David sat in chair number one, knowing God was a priority. He was a man after God's own heart. The Bible even says he's a man after. And, 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 and he, David was passionate for the things of God. His priority, his wife uh, made fun of him for worship. He said, I'll become even more undignified than this if it comes to worshiping Jesus. I love to worship. I love Jesus. He was close to God. His soul, in fact, he says, I, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for God. Pants for him. 
the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? He was a man after God's own heart. God, knowing God was his priority. His priority. And then David had a son. Not, was David perfect? No. David, da- David sinned with Bathsheba. Uh, the result was a son. Um, Bathsheba, Uriah's husband, Uriah's wife, that their son, the first son died, and she became pregnant with Solomon. Solomon, as David's son, was driven by his desire for pleasure and self-gratification. That's what David, Solomon's known. Now, now, did Solomon do great things for God? Solomon built the temple. temple. But if you wrote a thesis on Solomon's life and you look for a, a, a thesis statement, you wouldn't have to go much farther than Ecclesiastes chapter 2 to find out how, how Solomon defined his own life and existence. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, verse 1, Solomon says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasures and find out what is good. And the next nine verses, he uses the word I, I said, I tried, I wanted, I undertook, I, uh, my mind, I built. He uses 46 times, he uses the word I, my, or me. And the last verse, chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, it says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my, my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in my work. He, he, self-gratification was his goal and drive and desire. That's, so, so he said, chair number, chair number one was God was a priority. Chair number two was, you know, my priority, I, I still have a relationship with God, but you know something, my pleasure and my desires are more important. They trump it all. And then you have Rehoboam. Rehoboam, he was perplexed and confused. I mean, Rehoboam, you have to imagine going to grandpa's house. They didn't serve Christmas, okay? And it was before Hanukkah. But they would go for some, some Jewish festival. And he would go, Rehoboam would be at grandpa's house hearing about the day that he carried Goliath's head off the battlefield. He'd hear those stories. And yet he saw his dad living for pleasure, but yet building a temple. And he was perplexed. And if you read the Bible, if you read about Rehoboam, guys, David won it all. Solomon built it all. Rehoboam lost it all. When he went for advice, he went to Solomon's advisors who were very brilliant. And they said, Rehoboam, to get the heart of the people, uh, uh, your dad was hard on them. You should withdraw a little bit. Don't tax as much. Be, you know, win their hearts by, by withdrawing a little bit. And But he called for his young advisors, those guys that were buddies with his in high school. And they said, oh, your dad was too weak. You did. You put your finger upon them and press them. And he lost his kingdom. That's when the 12 tribes split to 10 and 2. And then King Shishak came. And the Bible says, took all the treasuries of the palace and the temple, all the gold and all the silver and all the bronze that his dad, his grandfather had won in war, and his dad had accumulated from wealth and gifts from around the world, Rehoboam lost it all. Just because your grandfather sits in chair number one, doesn't mean your grandkid will. See, Solomon heard one thing, but saw something different. He lived in conflict. See, chair number one is commitment and priority. Chair number one is, chair number two is compromise and pleasure. Chair number three is conflict and perplexed.
It's David's family. But let's go to Abraham's family. Even earlier, Abraham. Abraham, and, uh, uh, Abraham if you could define Abraham's life, in chair number one, it would be living right. Da- Abraham lived right. In Genesis chapter 12, out of all the people on planet earth, God came to him and said, I want you to leave your tribe, your tongue, your people you know, and I want you to go to a people that you do not know, and if they bless you, they will be blessed. If they curse you, they will be cursed, and the nations will be blessed through you. And God made a covenant with Abraham that he was God's covenant person, and he lived right. And everywhere, if you read the Old Testament, everywhere Abraham went, the first thing he did, he built he dug a well, excuse me. He dug, no, no, excuse me. He always built a, 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 an altar, then he dug a well. Read the Old Testament. Abraham built an altar, sacrificed to the Lord, and then he dug a well to take care of the needs of people around him. Uh, uh, that, that was Abraham. That was Abraham's life. Uh, 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 now, uh, second chair, Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac sat in chair number two. Now, it's not that Isaac saw his dad not sitting in chair number one because even Abraham, even Isaac could tell the story when he was a teenage boy when he was put on the back of a donkey and it went all the way to Mount Moriah and his father had built an altar to sacrifice his own son on. But Abraham was living right. Isaac was looking right. He wanted to look right. So the first thing he did was dig a well. Read its story. He always dug a well, and sometimes he built an altar. At the end of his life, he didn't even always build an altar. He didn't prioritize Jesus the way his father did. And then you have Jacob, Isaac's son Jacob. Jacob even means deceiver. Jacob, if you have someone who lived right, you had someone who looked right, you had someone who asked the question, what's right? What is it? Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived his brother out of his birthright. He was a manipulator all his life. He wrestled with this deceiving thing. He he worked for Laban and he manipulated the the, the sheep in such a way to kind of, to to make sure there's a blessing. He was a manipulator and he ran. And and, and what changed his life was at the Jabbok River one day when the angel of the Lord said, who are you? And maybe for the first time in his life, Jacob said, I am Jacob. He admitted he was a deceiver. He admitted he was a manipulator. And it says that God, he wrestled all night and God touched him and renamed him Israel, which the blessing was going to flow through. And and he walked with a limp. There's something that happens, friend, when you are willing to identify with who you are and what chair you sit in. Chair number one is commitment or living right. Chair number two is compromise or looking right. Or chair number three of conflict is what's right. And, and, and two, two similar families, David's family and Abraham's family. And then you have the people of Israel, God's people. And in Joshua chapter 24, it says, and, 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 and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose, this is Joshua at the end of his life. They've conquered the promised land. He's there talking to the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Choose what chair you sit in. 
He's saying, hey, find the place you're going to call home. Choose this day. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Now, another statement would be, as for me, and I pray that my house will sit in the same chair. All we can pick is our own chair. We can't pick our kids' chairs. Can't pick our grandkids' chair. All we can pick is the chair we sit in, knowing that, that, that whatever chair we sit in, there's a greater propensity our kids will sit closer to us. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. In other words, that we'll sit in chair number one with you, Joshua. And then we see in Joshua ends and the book of Judges starts. And it says this in Judges chapter 2. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done in Israel. They'd seen them. It says, when all that generation had gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the works he'd done in Israel. We see in those two sections of scripture, three chairs. The first chair would be Joshua who knew God and knew God's works. He saw the Red Sea split open. He saw the plagues. He saw God's deliverance. He saw how God made the sun stand still during battle. He saw what God had done and the manna, uh, uh, the manna by day and, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for the Israelites to eat. He saw the cloud that moved in the fire by night and the cloud by day. He saw those things. I, I would hope that we would have something stir inside of us that go, God, I want to I, I see and know the good works God can. Anyone here want to know the good works God can do? Chair number two is the elders who knew about God and his works. How many want to know there's a difference between sitting in chair number one and knowing God and knowing his works and experiencing his works and then sitting in chair number two where you can talk about what God has done but you've never seen it for yourself? Chair number one knows God. Chair number two talks about God. Chair number three was the children and the el- of the elders who did not know God, know what he'd done. How, how'd it go from choose this day whom you'll serve to a generation that didn't know God or the things he'd done? I pray that would not be said for any, my family or your family. I pray that wouldn't be said. Now, 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 here's what I believe. Information without application doesn't bring transformation. There's a pattern. We see a pattern, but can we identify the pattern? Can we, can we say, okay, how do we apply that to our life? How do we change? So three, three applications real quick if you're taking notes. Number one, if you know which chair you sit in, you know how you are doing spiritually. Now this is the challenge. The moment you make a statement like that or I make a statement like that, then, then you bring it to reality, like, okay, if I'm not sitting in chair number one, I'm sitting in chair number two, that means I'm a person of compromise, and I need to... The chair you're sitting in is, shows you where you are spiritually. And I would hope that every one of us would have a, a positive or a, 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 a clear ability to assess and have the self-awareness to go, I, I, I'm not in the chair I want to be in, what, how do, what are the changes I need to make to sit in the next chair? The second uh, uh, principle or question is, or, or application is the Bible and history illustrate for us 
that the slide is usually downward from where we sit. Are you comfortable with that slide? And number three, knowing which chair you sit in will help you identify which chair your kids will most likely sit in. I don't know about you, I have a 10-year-old son, and I, I, I want to sit in this chair because I want my 10-year-old son to have the best chance of sitting in this chair. But if I sit in this chair, and I, and, and, and I tell them God's important, but I don't make God important personally, then where's my son going to sit? I've got four daughters. Three are, uh, uh, three are still single. That doesn't mean I'm asking for people to date them. Two of them already are. Pray for me. But knowing where you sit can identify. See, I, don't, I don't know about you. If you want stronger families, friends, you can read all the books you want. You can go to all the, the, the seminars or sessions or come to church and, and listen this next week, this month, as we talk about stronger families. Or you can realize it all starts from us. Everything in life starts with leadership. As the head of the house, as the mothers and the fathers of the grand, as, as the patriarchs or matriarchs of our home, we are shaping civilization by the chair we sit in. What chair do you sit in? Now, I'm not saying there are some of you in here that defied the odds and you're sitting in chair number one and you never had your dad or mom ever lead the way. So I know there's, there's, there's other paths that direction. I get that. But the reality is, if you look at these patterns, knowing which chair you sit in will help you identify which chair your kid will most likely sit in. And, and, and so it's awful hard to tell our kids God is number one when they don't see us reading our Bible at home, when they don't see us talking to God at home through prayer, as we don't prioritize those things. It's awful hard to tell our kids to sit in chair number one when we don't sit in chair number one. They understand what you say and what we do is totally important and we don't have to tell them what chair we sit in. They know. How do we keep our family in chair number one? Here's four thoughts real quick. Number one, give them an example to follow. Give them an example to follow. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Give them an example. There are days, well, I, I, I'm paid, so guess what? I have to be at church. But I shouldn't say that. I want to be at church. I used to, we used to have a parsonage right over here. We still live in the church house, and we sold the house, a parsonage a while ago. And my kids were sad when they found out we're going to move. They're like, Dad, we like living near the church. Why? because we want to be there when we're open and there's and there I, I have friends who are like I got to protect my kids from the church I'm thinking like protect your kids from the church my kids think like life revolves around the church and that hasn't ruined my kids it's actually helped them but the example is I don't go to church I'm a godly person who wants to worship with a bunch of other worshipers I don't, I, don't, I don't feel any more spiritual than the rest of you all. I just have a chance to be here today and, 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 and communicate God's word to you. But the reality is, give your kids an example to follow. What do you want them to be like? Well, then guess what? How are they going to learn that? School's not going to teach them. You are. You want them not to lie, but they catch you lying. 
that you want them to, in, in different areas, set an example. Number two, give them an environment to thrive spiritually. Give them an environment. You know, you don't take your Easter lilies, raise them all year long in the house, and then in February say, hey, I just want to see if you can live outside. It doesn't work. What's the environment? Is it loving? Is it caring? How's your marriage? How's your communication with your spouse? How do you interact with conflict? What's the environment like? Is it safe to make mistakes? Are they always in trouble? All those things. We'll talk more about that this next month, but give them an environment to thrive spiritually. Number three, give them, give your family an experience that church is, that is related, that church is church related. In other words, let them know church is important. I can't tell you how to raise your kids. I can't tell you how to live your life. But I can tell you right now, in this wifeful home, if they're in my house, they're under my rules. And to live in my house is we go to church on Sunday. That's what we do. The day they don't want to go to church on Sunday is the day they're going to move out. They can make their own decision at that point. But if you're in our house, there's two rules. You go to church and you serve. Our kids are serving. And oftentimes, two or three gatherings. My number four, he's 10. Well, he's nine. He's getting water baptized today. But my number, he, he gets more church than all of us. He's in four kids' services. I think he teaches by the end. Okay? But never have I made church a non-negotiable with my kids. And because of that, they, that's one reason. Now, it's not like this top-down heavy thing. But, but church, I want them to have an experience. I, I, they, I send every camp. I send every conference. I want to expose them to an environment where they experience God and what God has for them. And number four, examine your life. Examine your life. Examine your life personally. How are you doing? You can't ask a kid to go past and do more than you're doing. I pray that for some of us, if our lives are living and our our lives are messed up, I pray our kids do supersede us. But the pattern is, until they start making their own decisions away from home, the pattern is examine your life. Examine if you're living in chair number one. See, my, my biggest concern is not people living in chair number one or chair number three. In fact, Jesus, God himself, told, told John in Revelation, I wish you would be hot or cold, but don't sit in chair number two. Don't be lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. Be hot or cold. Be one or the other. But don't be wishy-washy. Don't one day be hot, the next day be cold. Don't mix them all together. Choose. See, winner number one, or, or seat number one, that's, that's a winner's chair. I think seat number three is a loser's chair because if you're a person who's conflicted, you haven't chosen to make a, con, a commitment to serve Christ and move forward, then, 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 then you're at the place where you, but the scariest chair for me is number two. That's a gambler's chair. I'm going to gamble with my marriage, my kids, my influence, my life. You're high rolling. You know the stakes. But you roll your dice hoping your kids serve God better than you. And friends, if that's you, I would be scared and say, Lord, help me make sure I sit in the right chair. In a moment, we're going to play some music. We're going to play musical chairs. Remember musical chairs? That was the time you could move, change chairs. In a moment, we're going to give you time so you, you can actually move and change chairs. Not, not, not physically here. But then spiritually, there, there's some of you today that need to move chairs. How, 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 how do you do that? If you need to change a chair, uh, 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 Jesus teaches us in Revelation, yet I hold this against you. This, this is the church at Ephesus. And Paul talked about Ephesus in 
in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, your love has become known to the whole world. They were known for their love and their passion for Jesus. But in Revelation, I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. You used to sit in chair number one. But remember the height from which you've fallen. You've slid away from chair number one. He says, repent and do the things you first did. There's three things. If you want to change chairs, number one, you, you got to repent. You got to remember. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Remember what it used to be. Remember, hey, I used, there's some habits I had. There's some things I did to, to progress me out of my chair. I, I changed some things. And number two, repent. God, I'm sorry. And number three, redo. Do the things you first do. Remember, repent, and redo. Remember, repent, and redo. There are some of you today that need to remember where you were. You need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. You need to redo. Now, I want to pray over you, but, but maybe you're here today. Um, the good news is you don't have to stay in the chair you're in. The good news is you can choose. And, and, and I think it's a... It's a, it's a a, a very powerful time of the year with a prayer and fasting time coming up to say you know God I, I'm going to this year see if you do what you've always done you get what you've always gotten to do what you have not done you must do what you have not done now that sounds almost so simple and so cheesy, but it's true. To do what you have not done, you have to do what you have not done. It's called change. And to do the same thing and expect different results, that's the definition of insanity. I'm going to do what I've always done and I expect different results. It's not going to happen. you got to do something different. Now maybe you're here today and you walked in and I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a chance to commit to Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you're here, you've never made a commitment to Jesus. You're, if you died today, you're not sure you spent eternity in heaven. You don't know. You're, you're, not, you're outside of a relationship with Jesus. I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room today? I want to pray for two, set, two, two types of... I want to pray for those that want to commit their lives to Jesus today. And I want to pray for those who want to change chairs today. If you're here and you, you're not sure if you died, you have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to pray with you. Just repeat this prayer silently as I pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, today, I say yes to you. I've sinned. And God, I say I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I repent of my sin. I choose to follow you, make you my Savior and my life leader. In Jesus' name. Now the others in here that maybe it's time to move chairs I want you just to, to silently repeat this prayer in your own heart and life Lord I, I know where I used to sit like the church in Ephesus there's something I lost about my first love for you but God today I remember where I used to sit and God I'm sorry I repent help me get back to the place of prioritizing you and putting you in first in my life share number one in Jesus name in Jesus name what a fantastic service be sure to stay in touch by following us on social media so you can stay up to date with all that is happening at True North Church